Jim, you know what I love the most about living in the city, raising a family in the city is just there is so much stuff to do all the time. I, I agree, Jason. I've lived here in Chicago my entire life, and I have an affinity for this city like no other. So plan a vacation. Come to IMTS. When is it, Jim? It's uh, September 10th through September 15th. That's six full days. That's Monday through Saturday. If you want some referrals for restaurants, Jason, I'll be happy to help you. Yeah. And if if September of 2018 is anything like September of 2017, it is going to be perfect weather, 80 degrees. I agree. See you there. Book now, imts.com. To do innovation and to do new product development without having a separate entity doing that, then you have to rely on the usual suspects to be able to do that. And you have to horn into their time frame so that they're able to make sure they understand that this is important. And the owner of the business has told us that this is extremely important. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. So why don't we move on to the next component of the Orbit Form Growth Engine? Yeah, this and is getting exciting. This is, this is something that you know Jim and I are very passionate about. Um, we love when IBTS comes around. I mean, it's just it's exciting. You go there, and there's just an energy in the air that everybody has come in from all over the country and all, and even all over the world to come to the um, International Manufacturing Technology Show. But you, Orbit Form, participates in a smaller show that's been very helpful to your business growth. And in an era of people saying, well, with information online, do we really need trade shows? Um, You guys have looked at the trade show from a different perspective, which um, I think is is, is fascinating in order to make sure that trade show really delivers the, the return on investment that you make into it because trade shows are expensive. I mean, I would love to have a booth at IMTS, but to be quite honest, Jim, can you afford a booth at IMTS? I, car machine cannot. No, neither neither can Zengers. I mean, it's just it's just too much. Um, but you guys have brought a different perspective to the trade show. Yes, and it's um, it has lots of facets to it. It's the assembly trade show that's held at the Stevens Conference Center in Rosemont. And when it started off uh, in 2013, they were only using two thirds of the hall. We had a 400 square foot booth. And the owner, Mike Shirky, said that um, you are not able to go to a trade show unless you have something new to show because it's that old refried stuff every time that, you know, people have traditionally thought. Yeah, it's, it's, it's regurgitated stuff that you see every single time you go to a trade show. It's like everyone's got their parts out everyone's got their you know their their monitors going with the video and yeah there's a couple guys sitting behind a desk and they're you know they're yeah. playing on their cell phone and it's like they don't want to actually be there they don't want to talk to but you. It's, it's in the company's budget so they're sitting there and it's like you know it's kind of like a waste of their time and, so with you know with everything at orbit form this is a driven process so we started off with 400 square feet Last year uh, at the show, we had 1,500 square feet. We brought 17 pieces of equipment. 
And But what's really exciting is we have metrics set up for the show. You know, return on investment, it is expensive. But we have um, Mike with his edict that said you had to have something new. In the five years before the show, we had two or three new products. Since the show, we've had 25-plus new or greatly enhanced products. And those revenue streams of standard products, we have stuff sitting on the dock right now that's going out the door that was only developed because we were going to the trade show and created new products. So the, the trade show has become a new product growth engine for the company. It has. And it has all the other... you're mandated to... Mike, we have as to the do CEO it. of OrbitForum, has mandated that you have to have these new products there in order to show something new or you don't need to participate in the trade show. And believe me, an exciting moment is, is when we have the booth uh, set up at the plant before we go... And oh, you Mike, stage it all out before? We stage it all out. And do a And, and uh, Mike comes through and he says, I just want to see what's new. And so, you know, there is... It's a trade show for one. <laughs> it's a, it, it truly is an audit process. It has all the other benefits, um, new customers that we meet, new revenue that we have. It makes us hone our marketing information. It hones our uh, messaging skills and, and that Younger people get to come to the show, and they get. Uh, we have fifteen. We had fifteen people go this year, and to man the booth. So um, it's it's a level of excitement that ends in a crescendo of uh, ten months worth of work prior. So Phil, you know, you you're talking about trade shows, and you know, I think about you know. It is really an old school way of promoting your company. And, you know, many manufacturers really don't participate in them, especially smaller manufacturers like Car Machine and Tool. Um, and it, it's, it's really exciting for me to hear that you're getting such a good ROI on attending that assembly show at the Donald uh, Stevenson Convention Center. Can you share with us what your percentage of your annual marketing budget is just for that show? I'll have to say that it's 25 to 30% of, your annual of our budget. annual okay. budget. So that's significant. It's a very significant event for us. And that's why we've made a decision not to go on the trade show uh, circuit. We've been asked to go to a lot of different trade shows. Assembly, did, Assembly Magazine did something different this year. And what they did was is they said they weren't going to be the traditional trade show. So they promoted extensively. They made it high value. They're not letting everybody in that they that is petitioning. And now they've sold they let Jason in. They, <laughs> they have they actually have sold out all of the square footage in the show and now it's a waiting list to get into no the kidding. assembly magazine uh trade show. Kudos to them. They, and they're we're, doing something right. And we're one of two people that have a fifteen hundred square foot booth. Great. So one third of your annual marketing budget is to this one trade show, and that's all you do. You don't participate in any other trade shows throughout the year. You're laser focused on the assembly exactly. show. And the ROI that you see of that one-third of your annual marketing budget comes back one-fold, two-fold, three-fold, ten-fold. It's probably a, easily a three-fold improvement. Wow. When you sit there and you look about, because wow. I have to count the 25 new or greatly enhanced products and those revenue streams going on in, too, because we proved to ourselves that with only having three new products the previous five years, that this was the pinnacle event that made that happen. That flipped the switch? Yes. That made them excited about Orbit Form? Exactly. Okay. 
because to do innovation and to do new product development without having a separate entity doing that, then you have to rely on the usual suspects to be able to do that. And you have to horn into their time frame so that they're able to make sure they understand that this is important. And the owner of the business has told us that this is extremely important. So you measure the the revenue stream of all of the new products that come out of the the assembly show plus just the the return on investment of being in the assembly show in the first place and any new customers that come out of that right so before we move on to some of the other orbit form growth engine components it sounds like you're um, just to take a like a little bit of a sidestep it sounds like you're very in tuned with making sure that you can quantify a return on investment for each little part of what the business does. What what tools do you use in order to make sure that you're managing all of that, you know, in a, in a very efficient manner? I mean, what, what tools or processes? What tools is he measuring with? Well, just, you know, it sounds is like Phil is, is measuring his return on investment down to each individual component in the company, each new product, each assembly show, all those things. How do you how do you manage all that? What tools or processes do you use to, to make sure that all those things are in line and being presented correctly? We do probably 300 machine projects a year. You know, before the recession, we used to have uh, probably anywhere from out of that 11 to 18 what we called stinkers. And so we really worked hard on our quoting and uh, process. I mean, are, I call them losers. Yeah. So they were, they, the they're no losers. Bueno, the unprofitable yeah. stuff. Yeah. It, we yeah. either lost it on, you know, we missed the quote or the content was so much we had to spend way more hours on it. And so we measure thing, if you read the goal, we measure things in throughput. So we have throughput to a job, which is uh, selling price minus material is the throughput. And then the um, we also have throughput per hour. Because you could have a million dollar job and only make um, you know twenty dollars an hour, but you could have a two thousand dollar job and make eighteen hundred bucks. My dad an hour, used so. to say that all the time, and he didn't even know what he was talking about, but he said it in the simplest of terms. And now, um, since two thousand and twelve, we've had two jobs that we would consider um, stinkers. So we were having 11 to 18 a year, and we took it to two. We also made a big decision not to do business with uh, people that don't hold our same principles. Or and core, I won't, core values. Core values. Yeah. And so I won't mention awesome. any of those companies, but what we found was is we took all that energy that it took to do these really bad, you know, I win, you lose supplier type jobs. We moved all of that energy because we were spending the time and energy, 24 hours, all that sort of stuff. And we really took that energy and we moved it into our new product development because those jobs that were stinkers never really returned another recurring um, revenue for us. Our new standard products do. I love yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing that too as a company. I mean, you got to get into mining the data, seeing where it falls, and then make decisions on those in order to change the way you're doing things. And I think that we've all got products or clients that are just unprofitable for us, and you need to make decisions on them. And and I've done that as a company too, because there's some clients that they don't care whether you're a no. successful company or not. And then there's some that are more collaborative partners who it's like we win, you know, yeah. not I win, you lose, it's we win. And I think that that's the type of client that you want to have. And that's it, where you need to spend your time. And it's very empowering too to, to be able to do that and distinguish between a good client and a bad client and say no 
to the bad client. I, you're right, Jim. And I, it's very I never thought, if you were to ask me five or 10 years ago, if I were to say no to anybody that put any piece of business in front of me, I'd been like, you're nuts. Of course I'm going to say yes. Right. But I, I, I had to I say, say no, no yesterday to a client, a sizable could potentially lead into. And I, you know, I wanted to do their business and I, we've been just struggling to try and get them onboarding. And it's like, why am I working so hard with this? It's not worth it. Exactly. I'm just. I'm going to reach for the top, and I want to work with people that want to work with me, that respect me and my business and my time and my intelligence. Yeah, the so, old adage used to be, let's squeeze our suppliers for every right. penny. But I think the new adage is that, you know, successful high-growth companies deal with other successful high-growth companies, Bam. and they're willing to pay a little bit more for that expertise. And, it, it, you know, it could go down to just anything. I mean, not only, you know, wanting to deal with somebody that supplies you with your um, your your riveting or your orbital riveting machinery, but it could be the guy that cuts your lawn. I mean, you could pay him 10% more, and you can have twice as beautiful of a lawn exactly. as you, you had before. I mean, that mentality is just something that could just kind of bleed into who you are as a person, and I think it, it needs to be a part of the way you do business. So we had um, one customer that coming out of the recession, we turned down a million and a half dollar order, uh, which was ours to have we turn that down and we really feel like we changed that over or converted that over to several customers that they only have us quote the equipment that they do and when you're talking about um we have our standard product line but we also do big customized product lines and when you talk about that their process is always to have two or three quotes we have three customers that give us a great amount of business that they single source us Yep. I, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I'm going through that, that, that same experience and saying no to those two to three quote customers. Yep. So let's move on to the other parts of the Orbit Form Growth Engine. Very briefly, you are starting to become more marketing focused, and you're also starting to look at um, acquisitions as a, as a means to growing the company. Now, I know that I think it was probably about a year ago, um, David and I got together and had lunch um, because you were actually in Chicago and you were um, visiting a potential acquisition at the time. And, and so acquisitions are definitely a part of your, your growth. And so tell us a little bit about that, um, that initiative. Sure. Well, over the years, uh, Orbiform has made several acquisitions to grow our capabilities. Um, our most recent one, we purchased a uh, used and rebuilt riveting machine business that happened to be located only maybe a mile from here. Oh, really? Um, over on the, I believe it's the West Loop neighborhood. Um, That's about a mile from here. Yep. So we purchased that business and moved it to Orbiform and, uh, it's been it's been excellent. We've we got a, a lot of new uh, customer history records, and we got a lot of uh, used machinery that we can then retool and sell. And uh, it's, it was it's been a pretty positive experience. Um, so that's our most recent acquisition. Currently, part of my job is to kind of be on the lookout for other assembly processes or other um, machine building companies that maybe we could partner with and or acquire depending on their, you know, future future plans. And, um, in fact, our product line today is built of impact riveting product lines and material handling product lines that we have um, purchased in the past. And, David, how, how do you get leads on potential acquisitions? I mean, uh, I mean it, riveting companies are not really that common. Machine shops are probably a lot more common. But, you know, how are you hearing about, 
this riveting company in the West Loop that wants to sell? I'd say it's been just taking a proactive approach to identify the types of product lines that we believe would be complementary to our business Mm -hmm. and then just picking up the phone. Calling them. Calling people, calling business owners, um, stopping and visiting. I'd say it's very much a sales-driven process, just like acquiring a new client is is much the same way, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it is. It is. Cause yeah, but do you, do you, don't you feel as though that you're cold calling some guy you have no idea and you're saying, you want to sell your business to me? I mean, isn't that a little bit like in their face? I think, I think David's being extremely humble. And I'll just go ahead and say this. Uh, there's probably nobody on this earth that is a better networker than David. And David used every absolutely every tool available to network and research. And then on top of that, when he has... In the background before he exactly. puts himself so it in isn't the foreground. Just a, it's, it's almost like a warm call and people don't even know that. But um, the other thing is, is that uh, David created a, a tool to grade uh, possible acquisition. So it has to pass a litmus test. And, a litmus test. <laughs> it has to go through a filter. Well... Like I said, our team, we I, first we identified the type of businesses, type of products that we think would be complementary to Orbitform, and then part of my job was to go try to open doors. And once those doors are opened and we're having discussions, then when something looks like it could be a possible acquisition target, then we have a 15 or 20 question matrix that we go through and we say, can we trust this person? Is it complementary to our engineering team? Can we make these products in-house? If we have a sales call for this product line, is it going to be in line with our other products? And then at the end of the day, we can say, if we have these six or seven different companies to talk to Target, um, one or two of them should should bubble up to the top with the highest score. And so it's a it's just a way of systematizing. It's a driven process, as Phil might say, two of um, trying to help us make the best decisions on what companies to try to talk to. So you're doing a lot of researching of companies in the background. You probably have a whole list of target companies. And as you get, you're, you're filling in with pieces of information in your day-to-day about those particular companies, and you're, you're doing a health score on them periodically. Well, you know, I, you don't want to make it a sound like it's a perfect world because we're, no, right, we're right, certainly right, not right. perfect. I mean, we just try to develop a process and then follow it. I mean, honestly, we might talk to ten businesses this year. It is, this isn't like a like a huge. You don't daily... set goals for acquisitions, do you? Well, we do set goals. Okay, we do set goals, but it's not the goal to buy a company this year. Okay, it might be a goal of um, identify this many, analyze this many, meet with this many, and then over time, one of those businesses is going to either want or need. A succession plan. Yeah, all, all of those leading indicators that you track are, are eventually going to lead to you acquiring one of those other companies yep. in, in the when future. When it makes sense. Yeah, when it makes sense. Yep. You know, and- Yeah, this gentleman in the West Loop of Chicago, he had been talking with my father and Phil for years. And um, then three years ago, I stopped by the facility and said hello. And then three years later, we purchased it. It, it, it was the right place and right time. And sometimes it is, and sometimes you you know you just you just need to develop those relationships at the onset. Maybe not even with the intention of buying them, but just of having the intention of um, you know having a relationship within your industry, and then seeing what comes out of that. Exactly, and I I like using the phrase, 
we want to be the first person they think of when something happens that they either want or need to sell their business. Yeah. And I and I've and I've told other companies that are competitive to mine. I've said when you're ready to retire, if you don't have another succession plan, please make me your first phone call. Sure. Jim, I've been that much forward with somebody before and just, you know, you come from it from the standpoint of I admire you and the way you've led your company, the what your company is doing. I understand that, you know, you're doing great and, you know, you're not looking to to sell your company now, but if in the future you're ready to do that, please call me. And sometimes I might call you back in a month, <laughs> you know, and say, you know what, what you said to me, I talked to my wife about it, and she's like, honey, let's retire and move to Phoenix. And so, yeah, let's have a discussion about this now rather than five years from now. So you just never know. I want to go back a couple years ago and just talk a little bit about when you first heard about making chips. Because here we are today, we're, it's two or three years later, we've been to each other's facilities. I don't think you've been to CAR yet, but we've been out to Orbit Forum in um, Jackson, Michigan. We've met your family members, uh, been out to dinner a couple times, and uh, I really feel as though that we're, you know, we have a, a great uh, unit here. Um, tell us a little bit about how you found Making Ships and some of the things that have uh inspired you to move forward and what you've learned from making chips? Because I think there's obviously a couple of those things there. Sure, sure. I think it was like the end of 2015, and um, I was actively searching out, you know, um, business and other type of podcasts, you know, to listen to and learn. And um, I found making chips and was like, wow, this is this is very different. This is very applicable to what we're doing. And um, I don't know, just wanted to support, support you guys and uh, and cheer you on a little bit. Um, but we've gotten real benefit from it also. I mean, I learned about uh, Workshop for Warriors. Yeah, tell you, us a little bit about that, y- yeah, uh, David. You, you guys went out to San Diego, I we, believe. We and did. You, and you interviewed um, Hernan, and you you got to see their facility where they're training um, training former soldiers. Pretty grassroots. Pretty grassroots and, project there. Well, we contacted uh, Workshop for Warriors and um, put, I guess we filled out the application for Orbit Form to show who we are. And uh, one of the students was interested in coming back to the Midwest. And so we have a young man named Carl. And Carl joined our team, I want to say, in early 2016. Okay, good. And he's been an excellent machinist. It, oh, he's a machinist. I was going to yep. say, in what capacity? Yep. So he's, he's a C- CNC machinist. CNC machinist. Oh, yep. So that was one you know, very specific, very applicable example of the benefits. Other examples are, uh, you know, we've actually researched some of the, the uh, ERP yeah, uh, groups you've had on the program. Sure, and we've we've researched some of those systems, some of the um, machine tool monitoring and efficiency. Oh. You know, kind machine of, metrics. Yep, yeah. machine metrics. Yeah, um, we've researched you know those those arenas, and I mean, it seems like it's almost almost every episode there's something to say. Oh, hey, you know, our machine shop leader needs to hear about this, or or my friend over at uh, another manufacturing company should hear about this. And Well, we certainly thank you for that. And um, obviously, we're getting the word out, Jason. Yeah, what, what do you yeah. know? I mean, I, I was actually just um, looking at the old email correspondence um, between us, and it looks like the first um, our first communication was actually that you sent an email to Aaron Weagle from Weagle Toolworks oh, no, really? about his episode, and then Aaron ended up forwarding it to us, and we you know, kind of started a little bit of a communication chain at that point. 
point, this was like, oh my gosh, this was probably well, one of our first, you know, 10 or 20 11, episodes yeah. about, you know, his family succession planning and you were going through some of that process at the time. And um, so that was, you know, that was 2015, if you can, if you could believe yeah. that. Yeah, you guys have had topics about uh, manufacturing, succession planning and uh, manufacturing acquisitions and, and um, even some of the, you know, the family dynamics involved in That's um, tough. running a business and... Uh, well, I mean, we really try to take not only topics that are unique to manufacturing and to manufacturing leaders, but we try to take topics that are universal in in business and universal in entrepreneurialism and and family business, and and really say how do we put that twist of you know what what does this look like from the perspective of a manufacturing leader? And I think that's what one of the things that makes making chips unique is you know what is um, what is that manufacturing company in Jackson, Michigan, or that that machine shop in um, um, California or Oklahoma, what do they want to hear about? What is their problems that they're having that they need some help with? And give them some, you know, free advice and, and and hopefully equip and inspire them to take action in their business and and help to elevate the manufacturing industry in our country. Very good. And of course, uh, any of the metalworking nation, if they want to connect with David or Phil, they can go to their their newly cleaned up, <laughs> newly refreshed LinkedIn pages. Um, Phil, why don't you spell your do you last have a, name? Do you have a nice new picture, Phil, on, on your LinkedIn page? I do, actually. Um, so my... Uh, Maybe with a budding modeling career coming from, Phil, from Phil, that new can picture. can I tell him why you have a new picture? Because uh, he didn't have one before? Well, um, this wasn't on our agenda, but I'm not sure if you guys even knew this, but back in uh, kind of the fall of uh, 2017, Phil was um, chosen as the Michigan Manufacturer of the Year by the... Michigan Manufacturing Association. Wow, that's, and so, that's great, Phil. So that photo that you'll see on LinkedIn um, was, you know, one of the you know headshot that was used um, when the Michigan Manufacturing Association, you know, came to Orbit Farm and said, "Hey, we're going to do a profile about Phil and Orbit Farm and his leadership." And um, so that was a very big event. I mean. For Overform, and I think for Phil too, you know, back in 2017. Yeah, well, I mean, congratulations, Phil. I mean, certainly Michigan is one of the biggest manufacturing states in our country, and so to be, you know, awarded that um, Manufacturer of the Year award is um, from the state of Michigan is is truly amazing and truly an honor. And um, from the conversation that we've had, is very well deserved. It was a very uh, humbling uh, experience, and. We had a great dinner up in Lansing. The governor was there, and we had about 20 Orbit Farm people there, including Mike and Sue. And um, my whole family was there, my four girls and my wife, Mary. And so it was a very, like I said, a very humbling uh, experience. That's great. So they can get a hold of David Shirky, S-H-I-R-K-E-Y, and Phil Sponsler, S-P-O-N. S L E R. Thanks, Phil. I didn't want to. I didn't want to mess that one up. Uh, I'm sure they'll be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn and answer any questions or burning questions that you may have about uh, the processes they're going through now and the successes and failures that they've seen in businesses over the last few years. With that, Jason, as we always say at the end, wow, another empowering episode. I've uh, learned a ton. And, I know. I just know, it's in, great in the little bit of time that we've uh, met these gentlemen and uh, and learned from them, and I I hope. And I'm sure that we have inspired somebody out there across this great country to do things a little bit better in their manufacturing company tomorrow. 
and um, let us know how it was. You can reach out to us, Jim at Making Chips, Jason at Making Chips, and uh, maybe we'll have you on the show one day to share your success story with uh, the Metalworking Nation. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a great example of how, you know, the Making Chips family is not just Jim and I. It's every manufacturing leader out there, and we love to... um, have the the metalworking nation really reach out to us and tell us their story and share it with everybody else because you know there's just so much to learn and so many pieces of what other people are doing that really could help you um, in your business in your business to be a better manufacturing leader could not agree with you more buddy with that bam. bam this podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry we want to hear from you the owners managers leaders and engineers from the metalworking nation What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. 